Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. Boy, great to have you all here. We're in a study in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, boy, it's just, it's a wonderful book for a wonderful season of life. And I'll tell you, there's a, there's a verse in the New Testament that has encouraged me so much over the years. It's now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to his power that is at work within us. Whenever I've gone through discouraging times, I think back to that verse and how, boy, God with his Holy Spirit uh, working, uh, he can do incredible things, more than we can ask or even imagine. And that's exactly what was happening in the life of Nehemiah. There were some very discouraging things that were taking place, and yet God in his power and his grace and his might uh, was doing a powerful work, and in only 52 days, this wall gets rebuilt. But throughout the building process, there were a number of different kinds of attacks, and so today, we're going to fin- there are seven different kinds of attacks. Uh, we've already covered uh, the, the first couple, and uh, first three, and uh, I am going to review them real quickly. Doug covered these first three over the last couple of weeks, and then we're going to look at the last four kinds of attacks. So look, you don't have to be working in a church to go through these. You could be a, a stay-at-home mom, uh, working with your kids. You're going to go through, at one point or another, all seven of these kinds of attacks. You can be working on a construction site. You, too, will go through these seven attacks. You can be a CEO of a corporation. You can be a teacher. Uh, you can be a doctor, a nurse. Uh, you will go through these kinds of attacks. So let me review real quickly. The first attack was that of ridicule. Chapter 4, 1 to 6. And this is Sanballat. When Sanballat totally ridiculed and mocked Israel's power, they mocked their motives, their ability, their intelligence, their determination, their purpose. The second attack that Doug covered last week, or not last week, but the second part two weeks ago, the second half of it, was physical intimidation. And this was when there were enemies that actually, enemies from without, plotted, actually plotted against and tried to fight Jerusalem and cause confusion within uh, Jerusalem. And yet they continued to, to fight. Their, their hands were on the wall. They had a trowel in one hand. They had a sword in the other hand. And they weren't going to give up. They just said, well, you know what? This is what God called us to do. We're just going to fight our way through it. One of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs is this. It says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So I was thinking, most everybody knows Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells has been the head coach of a number of different professional football teams. I think uh, with the, first maybe with the Giants and then the Patriots and the, the Jets. And I think his last one was with the Dallas Cowboys. But Bill Parcells would say this. He'd go to his offensive linemen and he would say, look, guys, this is the reason we lift those weights. We lift the weights not to be strong in the gym, We lift the weights to be strong in the game. We lift the weights to get strong so that when the defensive line penetrates, when the linebackers start to blitz and they're killing our quarterback, that's why you lift weights. So Proverbs says, if you faint in the day of adversity, then your strength is small. It's not enough to be strong in the gym. You have to be strong in the game of life. And the fact of the matter is that Nehemiah teaches us that same lesson. And for all of us, it's not enough to be spiritually strong in our gym. It's not enough to be strong 
just in the church. It's not, a, it's a not enough just to go to Bible studies in order to get smarter and learn more about the Bible. Because in the day of adversity, that's when we need it. It's not when we're in the gym. So that's what, that is why we study the Bible. That is why we worship. That is why we pray. That is why we memorize scripture. That is why we listen to podcasts. That is why we listen to ser sermons, etc., to be strong for the day of adversity. But if you faint in the day of adversity, then all of that has gone to waste. It's, it's, uh, your strength is small. Third attack is internal division and disunity. This is what Doug covered last week. And so the first two were attacks from without. This one is, is more attack from within when there was disunity and division from within. And today in Nehemiah chapter 6, we're going to look at another kind of attack, not attack from without, not necessarily attack from within, but it's attack specifically against the leadership. It's directly uh, against Nehemiah himself. And so we're going to look at four more kinds of attacks. So the fourth attack is attack, uh, the attack is distraction by opportunity. Distraction by opportunity. So Sam Ballot said, come on, let's meet together in Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them and said, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. You know, four times they said this over and over and over. They were trying to distract him. This is what Sambalat was up to. Uh, basically, what they were doing is what in, in boxing, there is a, a phrase that goes like this. If you kill the head, the body will die. So that's what Sambalat is trying to do. Let's just kill the head so the body dies. Let's, let's kill Nehemiah. Let's, let's get to Nehemiah so that the whole movement ceases. And so we find out they intended to do me harm. We find out that there was assassination attempt. Uh, and, and so four times what they're trying to do is to distract Nehemiah. They're trying to get him off a target. And folks, let me tell you, this is exactly one of the tactics of the gates of hell. The gates of hell will try to distract you from what God has called you to, whatever the mission is for your life, whatever the mission is for, for Parkview, whatever the mission is for your church, uh, the devil will try to distract you from what he is actually calling you to do and wants you uh, to do. So four times the gates of hell are extremely persistent. They will not Stop. That's why it is so critically important uh, to get into the Word of God and to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying uh, to you. And I think one of the greatest problems in the church today is that too oftentimes churches will succeed at really good things, but not at what is critical and best. So we the temptation is to get distracted. You know, I, I love working with Doug, and one of the things that Doug just lifts up over and over and over, you know, we've got to examine, you know, you know, here's what God is calling us to, but there are probably things we need to get off of our plate. There are probably things we need to stop doing because they take so much time and energy and effort and resources, but, but they're not really what God is calling us to do. So I think it's a wonderful, wonderful process. So let me just give you, I'm going to Drive this home by asking you a question. So when I ask a question, I want you to turn to your neighbor and give them a quick answer, okay? So here's the question. What is the most important part of a car? Turn to your neighbor, give them the answer real quick. What's the most important part of the car? Okay, time's up. How many of you would say the frame? Anybody say frame? 
Okay, what about steering wheel? The steering wheel. Did anybody say steering wheel? How many of you said engine? Engine. Uh, a lot of people went for the engine. How many said tires? Okay, a few people said that. Uh, well, you're all wrong. <laughs> the most important part is the purpose. What's the purpose? Because depending on the purpose, I might want to get a street car. I might want to get a box car. I might want to get a shipping car. Or, depending on the purpose, I might want to buy an automobile. I don't know. So it all boils down to the purpose. So what's the most important part of the church? How many of you would say it's the music? I don't see any hands, but you certainly act that way. (laughs) How many of you say, well, it's the senior pastor? How How many of you say it's the sermon? The most... I got a few there. Amen. Amen. He's the only one that's right. No. (laughs) The most important part of the church is what is the purpose of the church? What's the purpose God has called us to? You know, our mission is to equip people to extend the gospel together for the good of our neighbor and to our world. That's our purpose because we want to help people to experience the hope and healing power of the gospel. And we do it through teaching. We do it through community so that people become servant leaders who will who are able to love God, love others, and serve the world. By the way, just on a side note, because we we didn't put it in the bulletin, for those of you who are really new to Christianity, and you're sitting here and you're going, man, it's just all I can do to figure things out. Starting next week, for four weeks, we have what's called a basics class. It's the third hour, 11 o'clock, in the chapel, and we cover it. So if you're new and you just want the absolute basics of Christianity, we're going to be looking, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of your life? You know, who really is God? You know, what, what is the church all about? What is the Bible? How can I start with the Bible? So four weeks, real basic stuff that starts next week, four weeks in the, in the chapel, third hour. So that's purpose. And I think that's the leadership's biggest, the biggest challenge of the elder board today. I mean, we deal with a lot of issues, but the biggest challenge, without a doubt, is to keep the rudder pointed at the main thing. Because I'll guarantee you the gates of hell will do everything it can to distract us from the North Star. And that's exactly what will happen to you as well. What will distract you from ultimately God's will for your life. So uh, the fifth attack overall, fifth attack, is discouragement by slander. Now what is slander? Slander is speaking false, speaking falsely about somebody to cause them uh, harm. So that's exactly what happened to Samballot. For the fifth time, he sent servants to him with, now he's sending them with an open letter. In other words, okay, we're going to put it in the paper. You know, I haven't knocked you out yet, so I'm going to put it in the paper, put it in the press citizen. It's an open letter, and it's reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews, so let me just summarize it. He's saying, your, your whole intent is to rebel. I mean, you want to rebel, and you want to set yourself up as the king. And this is going out in the press citizen. Nehemiah, all he wants to do, set himself up as the king. And so he's set up prophets to proclaim all this stuff. And and we're going to take it to Artaxerxes. We're going to take it to the king of Persia. And we're going to expose you. Now that was absolute, pure slander. 
uh, you know, and I'll tell you, I, and I'm sure everybody at some point has gone through that. You know, when I first started, I graduated from Dallas Seminary. I was just thankful to God anybody wanted me to serve with them. So I planted a church in Breckenridge, out in West Texas, Breckenridge, Texas. And uh, in three years I was there, it started with six people. And uh, in three years, 365 people trusted Christ and were baptized. So it was a church of 400 or so, four to 500 people. And then just everything fell, everything fell apart. Now, I was being called a demon-possessed sorcerer because I was teaching the security of salvation. And then all of a sudden, I'm cast out of the church. Man, my heart, in the 40 years of ministry, it was absolutely the most difficult time I'd ever gone through in my life. It was so hard. Uh, and, I mean, at that point, I didn't, I was very hesitant to even want to get back in a church, working in a church. And a lot of people go through, I think the refiner's fire, God uses this in a lot of people's lives. You know, I, I know Doug went through something like that. Steve went through something like that. I went through that. We have, you know, friends, uh, Craig and Lisa, uh, have gone through something like that. They could be even listening to this online. I don't know. But a lot of people go through those very, very discouraging, discouraging times. The thing that encouraged me most is that not only did Jesus go through that. You know, I, I love the Psalms. I love the Proverbs. And, and when I listened to David's plea, because David was going through that, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. For it is for your sake that I have been that I borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you has fallen upon me. You know, and, and folks, I just identify with that so much. And I thought every single person who follows Jesus will go through that. Every single person who follows Jesus will at some point identify with Psalm 69. If you are in leadership, not just in the church, but secularly, if you're in leadership, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe on your sports team, whatever, if you are in leadership, let me tell you, you will get a permanent tattoo. You know what that tattoo is? It's a bullseye right on your forehead. You will be the target for, for something. But take courage. Uh, Proverbs 26.2. Matter of fact, I shared this verse with one of our admin uh, just two days ago. came to me and, and there, was, there was so much said about her that she went through that was just totally, totally false. And so I quoted this verse to her, one of my favorite verses in Proverbs 26.2. Like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow and it's flying. A curse, a curse that is causeless will not alight. And that was exactly what happened to Jesus. It was a causeless curse. It, there was no place for it to alight. Same with David. Same with Nehemiah. So Nehemiah says, look, no such things as you have said has been done. You're inventing them out of your own mind because they wanted to frighten us. They wanted us to to throw down the trowel. They wanted us to stop the work. Ah, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Let's look at the sixth attack. The sixth attack was they wanted to discredit them, distract them by opportunity, discourage them by slander, and discredit them by fear. So he went 
into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahitabel, who was confused, confined to his home. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple. They're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you by night. So here, what they were, is another plot. They wanted him to get so afraid that he would do something that would discredit him. Okay, that's, that's the thought. So they came up with this plot. Ah, oh, somebody's going to kill you. They're going to come at night. So let's go into the temple. Let's go into the temple and, and shut the doors so you can avoid this assassination. But boy, Nehemiah saw right through it. Because see, Nehemiah was of the tribe of Judah. He wasn't a, he wasn't a Levite. It was against the law, the written law. He, he would have broken God's word to go and hide himself in the temple like that. He said, such a man, I can't go into the temple and live. I will not go in. And uh, so then he finds out that Tobiah, we'll, we'll come back to his name, Tobiah, um, had put him, had hired him to, to do all this, to cause him, listen to this, this is good, that he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so when he sins, that would give him a bad name in order uh, to taunt him. Okay. I love 1 John 4.1. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. It's all false. Just trying to, trying to get him to sin so they could discredit him. Give him a, a bad name. Okay, that's what they were trying to do. So in 1 John it says... Don't believe every spirit. You test the spirits. See whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Listen, God is never, ever going to counsel you against his word. So if I, let's say you're doing a mission, a cause that you're excited about, God's excited about, you're right on board. And if I were the devil, if I were the devil, I'll tell you what I would do. I, first of all, I would try to distract you with slander. I would do everything I could to discourage you. And if I couldn't do that, I would discredit you. I would try and dishonor you. I would try to do that by leading you into sin so that your life would have no credibility. If, if I can just get you by hook or by crook to cause you to sin, all of a sudden you have no credibility and you have a bad name. So let me tell you this. Dishonor discredit, no credibility, and bad name can happen in one of two ways. The first way it can happen is when what is being said is not true. That's called slander. It's slander that will come from the outside can tempt to discredit you and give you a bad name. There's another way that you can be dishonored, have no credibility, and have a bad name at, and that is if the accusation is true and the sin comes from the inside. And this is what exactly Paul talks about this over and over and over in the New Testament. A great place is 1 Timothy chapter 1. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you, you, for the mission that God has called you to, you wage good warfare. Timothy, don't get caught in sin. Hold fast to your faith. 
hold fast to a good conscience, and by, by rejecting this, if you don't hold fast and you fall into sin, some have made shipwreck of their faith. That was not Nehemiah. Nehemiah didn't do that, but he was being slandered for sure. So let me ask you, guys, do you really want your kids to worship God, to love God, to go to church, obey you? How do you think they're going to do that if, guys, they see you abusing your wife or treating your, your wife like dirt? Do you, do you think it's really honest to think your kids are going to want to go to church if they see you dishing on your wife? Or ladies, I know you want your daughters to grow up to be godly young women, but is that almost a little unreasonable if they see you being disrespectful and caustic at home with your husband? And I know if you attend the University of Iowa, you're thinking, oh boy, our mission is to lead people to Christ. Boy, let's, and you're witnessing to the, to the fellow students. But at the same time, those fellow students you're witnessing to you, that, that you're witnessing to observe you skipping classes, not giving it your all, mocking, making fun of your teachers, dropping courses, not doing your homework, using the money that your mom and dad have given you on frivolous things and then lying to them about it? Do you think that person that you're witnessing to that's watching you do all those things, do you think that's going to compel them to want to follow you to church? Listen, I tell you what, if I were the devil, I would absolutely do everything I could do to distract you from the mission that God has called you to. I would want you so much to do what's really, really good, but not God's best. Please, I would beg you to settle for something really good, but not the best. I would do everything I could do to discredit you and so that your life would be a shipwreck, that you would have a bad name. I know that the gates of hell uh, want to do everything it can, not only Parkview, but in your life individually, uh, to take you out of the game. Let's look at the final attack, seventh attack, and that is to divert by compromise, to divert by compromise. So what I'm going to do, let, let me just set up a scenario. It's a little hard when you read it. It's a little hard to get. But in the first couple of verses, 15 to 16, Basically, he's saying, ah, project is done. We got it done. 52 days, wall was built. And then 18 through 19, what he's doing there, he's saying, okay, first couple of verses, ha, we got it done, built the wall, but at the end, you wouldn't believe what we had to go through to get it done. You wouldn't believe the temptations that were put in our, on our plate to keep us from getting it done. So that's basically what this passage is saying. So I'm going to add a little bit, a little bit. I'm going to read part of it and sort of interject, explain it a little bit, because it can get a little bit confusing. So they, on the, they finish it. 52 days, they finish the wall, uh, and the nations were afraid. So 
that's it. But now, but let me tell you just how hard it was to get it done. Because in those days, leading up to it, in those days, there, there were nobles of, of Judah. You already remember the no, nobles of Tekoa who wouldn't work. There are more nobles there than nobles of Judah. Um, sent out many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah was an Ammonite. Tobiah the Ammonite was an unbeliever. And through, here's an unbeliever who married into the temple. So he's, he's helping to run the temple, but he's an unbeliever. And they're in cahoots with the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. So, so the nobles don't want the wall built. So the nobles of Tekoa aren't helping. We saw that in chapter 3. Nobles of Judah are doing everything they can to keep the wall from being built. They don't want it built. Why? Because they were getting kickbacks from Tobiah, his family, and down the line through Artaxerxes. They don't want it done. Can I give you a contemporary example of this? Well, it's not contemporary. It happened in the 1300s. But the movie's contemporary. How many of you saw Braveheart? Anybody? Okay. Great movie. But I'd be careful. Don't let your little kids watch it. But but it's a great historical movie. And and to me, it really captures what was going on. So there's... William Wallace. Everybody remembers William Wallace. That's the movie was about him. Let's just say he's like Nehemiah, okay? And his Nehemiah's mission was to rebuild the wall. Uh, William Wallace's mission was to overthrow the oppressive control of England over Scotland. He wanted to free Scotland over King Edward, Edward Longshanks. He was called the Hammer of Scotland. So William Wallace is getting off, trying to gather Scotland together. Let's all get on the wall. You know, let's, let's do it. Let's get it done. You know, let's all fight and, and get uh, Longshanks off of us and free Scotland. Remember that? That's the whole movie. And so they go into battle. And then what happened? Who were there? There were people there within Scotland who really didn't want it to happen. Who were they? The nobles. Remember that? There were the nobles. There was even Robert the Bruce, you know, who subverted the whole thing. He really didn't want it to happen. Why did the nobles not want it to happen? Because they were in cahoots with Longshanks. They were, they were getting paid behind the back. So it wasn't until later, of course, in 1304, I think, 1305, uh, William Wallace... <laughs> you know, gets disemboweled. Uh, but thank God, you know, Robert the Bruce, about nine years later, he leads uh, the, the, the charge at, at the Battle of, um, I think it's a Benacarn, something like that, Battle of Benacarn, and they overthrew England, the oppressive rule of England, and Scotland was free. Um, but that's exactly what was going on here. So there, there was the Tekoan nobles and the nobles of Judah who were getting all the kickbacks. And basically, even, even though they were related, even though they, they sort of wanted to see it happen, but they didn't. The reason they didn't get involved, and here's the point. The point was they didn't get involved because it would cost them too much. You see that theme throughout the New Testament. Oh, you're not willing to get involved in the mission because it's going to cost you too much. Think how many examples throughout Scripture. You know, the 
rich young ruler. Oh, you really don't want it because it's going to cost you too much. Oh, you've got to give up family, mother, father, sister, brother. Why? Because it's going to cost you too much. That's the nobles of Judah, the nobles of Tekoa. They really didn't want it to go through because the cost was just a little bit too high. So Paul in 1 Corinthians says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The great work of the Lord is done predominantly, not by the nobles, but the great work of the Lord is predominantly done just by etc. kind of people. So, Nehemiah, Bill, Sue, Marsha, George, Paul, every single one of us here. Who are you going to serve? Bottom line. Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve Mammon? The nobles of Judah chose to serve Mammon. So let me ask you, are you afraid to stand up in your job? Are you afraid to stand up in your classroom, in your dorm, at your team meeting, in your circle of influence? Are you afraid to make a statement that you're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're committed to to his glory, but are you afraid to do that because of the peer pressure coming from this man named Tobiah? Are you afraid that if you're faithful to God and say what's really on your heart, that you might experience the displeasures of the powers that be, and that that, those displeasures might personally affect your personal peace and affluence, your grade, maybe even your job, your security. This passage teaches us that Tobiah will cause immature believers to wilt under pressure. Didn't cause Nehemiah to, to, to wilt. But the truth is very clear. You cannot serve two masters. If you serve God, you will incur the displeasure of Tobiah the Ammonite. But if you choose to serve Tobiah, you will have no part in building the wall. It's so interesting to me that none of the names of the nobles of Tekoa or the nobles of Judah are in this book. But there's a lot of other names. If you've read it, I mean, and I'm not going to read them all. There's a bunch coming up. We're not going to read them all, but please do. You please do it because you're going to see names of just et cetera people. You're going to read the name of Hananiah. You're going to read the name of a a perfumer. The nobles aren't in there, but a perfumer's name is in there because he refused to compromise. And it's as as chapter 16 ends, as chapter 17 begins, it's so interesting that Nehemiah doesn't even give credence to those nobles, doesn't even mention them. And I think it's because, just like Abraham of old, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Nehemiah 
was a servant of God. And I'll tell you, and if God's going to use us like he used Nehemiah, that's exactly where we have to be. We have to be, the only thing that we really care about is what God thinks. That's what we care about. What does God think? And we pursue that and don't get disattracted from that or diverted from that. Do you think Elijah was intimidated by the priests of Baal? Not in your life. Was John the Baptist intimidated by King Herod? Not at all. Was Jesus intimidated by Pilate? Was Paul intimidated or influenced by what others think? Does it really matter what other people think about you other than what God thinks about you? You see, Nehemiah counts the favor of men purely as scubalon. That's where we get our word scat. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as scubalon, scat, in order that I might gain Christ. So don't let others distract you with opportunities, discourage you with slander, discredit you by causing you to react in fear, which will lead you to disobedience or to divert you from your mission. Because the truth of the matter is, and Jesus said it over and over and over in Matthew 6, you can, it's impossible to serve two masters. You can only serve one master. It will either be God or mammon. So I'm just telling you right now, every single person here this morning, you get ready to struggle with Tobiah. Get ready to struggle with Tobiah. Are you willing to forego the greatness and exaltation of this world for the pleasure, for the fulfillment, for the rewards that only God can give? I'll tell you what, I would so much rather have the affirmation of God, well done, thou good and faithful servant, than than a billion commendations from Tobiah. Aren't you glad we have such... I mean, Nehemiah was just a micro picture of Jesus. Aren't you glad we have this picture wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ? You think about it. When it came to a choice between... For Jesus, when it came down to the choice between... You know, here are the temptations of the devil at the beginning of the Gospels. He had the choice of the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory. When it came down to that choice, kingdoms of the world and all of their glory versus you, which would also entail pain and suffering and crucifixion, the cross. Jesus, those two choices, Jesus chose you. And when it came down to being spit upon, when it came down to his beard being plucked, when it came down to his own family thinking that he had lost his marbles, Jesus chose you. 
Listen, we have a Savior. We have a high priest in, in heaven who couldn't be discouraged through slander, who couldn't be distracted from his mission, no matter how painful it was, who couldn't be discredited, who couldn't be dishonored through sin, who would not compromise. But, as the author of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, but he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And this God loves you and is faithful to you. Chapter 7 concludes this section, and I'm not going to cover it. It just points out who godly leaders are and who godly followers are. And in your notes, you'll see the godly leaders, he just... he says that they're faithful, they're, they're God-fearing. First uh, Timothy chapter 1 again, they would hold to a good conscience. They're faithful, they're God-fearing, they hold to a good conscience. And it would basically be the descriptions of Nehemiah throughout the entire book thus far. And so I have that outline for you there. Uh, a disciple like this cultivates a heart after God. They're dependable, available, dependent, prayerful. They're willing to get off their knees and wrists. They're a catalyst that gets people moving, they organize people for action, they persevere with the mission, even in the face of great adversity, they put their confidence in the Lord, they rush to the battle line, they unite in pur purpose, there's no secret, no selfish agenda, they're driven by what God thinks, not what other people think. Thinks. And then it concludes with Nehemiah could only be a leader of the people because he was first a servant of God. All that's written down for you uh, in your notes. If you don't have it, you can go out in the back uh, and get it. And then he talks about the godly followers. I'm only going to make one point about the godly followers. And, and read those names. Read those names. Because when you read it, there's going to be one thing that shocks you about this list when, when you read the names, if you take, take the time to read it. Because as you read it, what you're going to see, you're going to see the list of names, the clans they belong to, and everything they gave to the cause. You think about that. How would you like to have your name written in the book that will last for eternity and along with your name listed is how you use your time, how you've used your talents, and all the resources you have given? And he listed all of those names along with everything they gave. And so every name is written down and what they gave was recorded immortalized, and we've had it for over 3,000 years. So just a challenge. If your name was there and everything you have done and contributed was listed right there for, for the next 3,000 years, would you just be humbled and embarrassed? I mean, humbled, or would you be like, oh boy, <laughs> a little embarrassed? Anyway, I, I thought it was sort of cool that it was written down there. Well, uh, why are they listed? Let me just answer that question. Why are these people li listed? It's because they are so special. And the fact of the matter is, you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are incredibly special. You are, as they were a, a lamp on a hill, you too are a lamp on the hill. And as a lamp on the hill... Your mission is, you know that little song we used to sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine? 
commission. You're going to let that little light shine. You're not going to hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let that sucker shine. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works. Glorify God on the day of visitation. That's that letting that little light shine. Folks, and, and so as believers, as the church, our, our job isn't to build walls. Our job really is to tear down walls and to take our little lights, get them on the hill, and let them shine to the community uh, and to the world around us. That's the mission of Parkview. You're going to hear a little bit about that after we, we're going to close, sing a song, and then uh, Doug's going to talk to us about an opportunity we have to keep that little light shining. Well, let's all stand up and we'll close with prayer. Our Father in heaven, uh, we are weak and we can't see with eyes of the flesh the prize. We can't hear with our fleshly ears heavenly commendations. We're in the flesh, when we're in the flesh, all we can hear are the Tobias. All we can really hear is the peer pressure, the distractions, the slander, the dishonor, the compromise. Yet, as it says in that great hymn that was written years ago, through many conflicts, toils, and snares, we have already come. Father, help us to grow. Wean us off of all the toys and the trinkets and the seductive sirens that call out to us. And would you raise us up to that which is great and glorious and majestic and eternal. Help us to be a godly leader, a godly follower that makes a difference for your kingdom, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.